Middle of the Pack. Real discussions for the middle of the pack by the middle of the pack. We'll talk about training and racing, but we're here to deep dive into the life topics of the weekend warriors and obstacle course racing enthusiasts. Obstacle course racing isn't just a sport, it's a lifestyle. We are the middle of the pack. And we are back here on Middle of the Pack podcast. My name is Maggie B. ATC. I am the OCR trainer. I am here today. And guys, guess who I found back from the dead? It is Iron Man himself. Corey, what have you been up to since you last died? I didn't die. I just took a hiatus and I've just been trying to get ready for finals for this semester of school. Thank y'all very much. That's it? You were just ghosting us to get some schoolwork done? I wasn't ghosting. I just disappeared. Oh, you were a straight ghost. That's <laughs> my personality. I disappear and come back. <laughs> It's okay. Anyways, so guys, we are actually going to be doing a bit of recapping for this weekend's races. <laughs> I did get to see a bunch of accompl- accomplishments, and when I came back from the dead, uh, you told me about your accomplishments down at Fenway. So how Fenway? You weren't dead when I ran Fenway. I know that's we why we were I said. talking at that. You point. told me about your accomplishments. So and I don't consider them accomplishments. This was just a training race for me. Literally, I signed up for Fenway. On Saturday, I showed up to Fenway Park at 5.45 in the morning with registration opening at 6. Was not signed up at all. All of the signs said, this race is sold out. I'm like, I I don't know if they're going to let me race. I'm like, I have an elite qualification code if they're going to allow me into elite because age group is sold out. I'm like, I went and I looked at Athlinks. There was six women in the elite heat 12 men in the elite heat. That is a sold out Spartan race these days, guys. Um, But I showed up and while I was standing in line, I logged into my Spartan account and it actually allowed me to sign up for age group Saturday morning through Spartan.com. So I'm standing there waiting for them to open up registration and I finally got a QR code. So went in, um, took off for age group. Again, not a fast runner, not trained for stadiums, don't want to run stadiums. I hate stadium races, but I love Fenway. So didn't put any pressure on myself. I knew going in, I needed at least three laps on Saturday and probably two laps on Sunday. So took off on lap one. I just ran. Literally, I told myself it's me versus me. There were other girls running alongside me. Maybe they passed me. I passed them. Whatever. Uh, Managed a clean race. Awesome. Crossed the finish line. I'm like, I'm feeling pretty good. My lungs are burning. Uh, Checked the results. I'm like, oh, I finished fourth in my age group. Seventh female overall. Okay, that's pretty legit. I'm happy with that. Turns out I missed the age group podium by 12 seconds. Again, not disappointed at all. I'm, I came in to that race saying I am only training, not focusing on competing. So I'm happy with it. Did two more laps, clean races across the board. Although I will say I did skip rep obstacles because I don't need rep obstacles to train for the ultra. Um, and I also will add, because we see it all the time in Spartan everything, when people post pictures of multiple medals at a venue, and then people scream, 
They ran out of medals. They ran out of shirts. I only took one medal on the day for Saturday and for Sunday. Um, went back Sunday morning. I was registered at that time. I did register two days ahead of time. Um, took off. I was feeling really sick on Sunday morning. I didn't sleep at all Saturday night. And I didn't want to be racing at all. Hopped in. I pushed myself. I said, you know, if I can just shave off the 12 seconds that cost me a podium yesterday, I'm happy. So I, again, not looking to race, just went out and ran hard. Missed my spear. So unfortunately, I am now batting 75% on my spear throw for the year because that is gonna, that comes in handy at all of those non-Spartan races that I run. I did my 15 burpees, I took off, I ran some more, the rest of the race was clean, called a, people, a couple people out for improper box jumps form, improper burpee form, I just ran, want to uphold the rules, whatever. Crossed the finish line, looked at my watch, I had shaved 15 seconds off, I'm like, perfect. Somehow, even with 15 burpees, I managed to shave over my 12 seconds, I'm happy. Went, checked the results. Fifth in my age group. Can't complain. The females who podiumed for my age group, they were all about two minutes or so faster than me. So those burpees did not cost me a podium. Again, it was all training. So I'm very happy with it. I love Fenway as a venue. If we want to dive deep into this Fenway race, I will say I was very disappointed with the course. I Barely hit two miles across all four laps I ran. By the time I finished my fourth lap, I had every intention of first going out for another lap and realized that I was just bored with the course. The obstacles were relatively easy and yeah, it was very, very short. They did not vary the course at all. Usually they'll have you run a little bit of the stadium steps and then they'll cut you out to the concourse and then you'll come back in do some more stadium stairs and with the exception of their sandbag carry they never put you in the stadium steps until the very end right before you went into the locker room then out on the field when you ran up the ramp you literally ran all the way up to the top of the ramp and then turned right back around and ran right back down they didn't even like cut you through to the top so then you could go do a little more stadium stairs, come back and run back down the ramp. There was no variety. Um, I'm pretty sure it was probably a COVID protocol thing where they didn't want people crossing each other, running in both directions. But it was just very boring and you didn't have to strategize very well because you could anticipate what was coming up because it was always, oh, run up these stairs for a while. Okay, now run straight for a while. Okay, you're now heading into the stadium and you are on these steps for the next half mile as you weave from one end of the grandstand all the way to the other end of the grandstand to where you are about to go down and come out onto the field and finish up the race. So I anticipated the race to be a lot longer on day one, probably could have pushed a lot harder. But again, I expected at least two and a half miles. So when we were coming into the locker room and I looked down and saw 1.7, I was like, there's no way they're ending this race right now. But they did. Ultimately, 
I love the venue. I love this weekend. It's always my favorite, but Spartan got really lazy on this one. Okay, so real quick, you mean to tell me people pay hundreds of dollars for a stadium race for a mile thing? Two miles. How many? Two miles. Okay, they pay hundreds of dollars. They pay a hundred dollars a mile to run a stadium. Yeah, and Spenway was the original stadium race for Spartan. It's the birthplace of Spartan. It's the home of Spartan. I mean, all of the sponsors are here in Boston. Headquarters is here in Boston. You get two days of stadium racing. It draws the largest crowds. You start racing at 7 o'clock in the morning, and that last heat is like 5.30 at night. They fill up both days, sold-out heats, the works for two miles. Interesting. Yeah, aren't you excited to do it next year? Yeah, for people who can't see my face, the enthusiasm is just amazing right now that, i mean you're gonna get to fenway don't worry that, we're gonna get you there that's fine I'll, I'll do a stadium race fenway or not i know what a grandstand is so what's a grandstand my gosh we need to get you to more sporting events i don't i watch baseball and kids youth baseball or football and kids youth baseball that's all i pay attention to they have grandstands at kids youth baseball games just wait till just wait till your kids are in like the Little League World Series, and you'll be, like, paying top dollar for those grandstand seats. Hey, you know, when that happens, I'm all for it. Um, until they start winning games, Ryder, I love you to death, but I'm not concerned about that right now. <laughs> so It could happen. You're an athlete. They could have gotten athletic genes. He did. The rest of the team didn't. <laughs> oh, poor guys. Yeah, yeah. Well, speaking of you being athletic... Didn't you race this weekend, too? I did. In the uh, state I currently reside in, Kentucky. Is this the first ever OCR in the state of Kentucky? Um, it, mm, technically, no. They had Camp Calvary had like an OCR race. I mean, it wasn't, it was, it's a local guy, it's a local race, and he owns part, like, part of this, like, trail, so he kind of set up obstacles on the trail. So, I mean, in retrospect, by definition, yes, this would be the first OCR race, but it's the second kind of obstacle race I've done this year in Kentucky. Wait, Spartan did have that honor series race. Oh, yeah, down at Fort Knox. So, okay, yeah, so... Within the past, so since, I mean, heck, 17 was the last time that Spartan has been here. So since 17, officially, they've been the first one since 17 that I know of. No Tough Mudders, Rugged Maniacs, or? Well, they had Terrain Race, if you want to count them. Um, they had, I think, a rug- no, there's post have Rugged last year, but COVID. I heard COVID didn't exist in Kentucky. I mean, I haven't noticed it. <laughs> So, <laughs> train race. I mean, that's really. I mean, if you count like what is the one that's all female, the Muddy Princess or whatever. But I think it's a mud run. So I mean, it's. I don't know. Maybe not the first OCR, but it's. It's been a while since an OCR event style event has been brought to the state of Kentucky. It's Kentucky. Nobody wants to come to Kentucky. People in Kentucky try to get out of Kentucky. But yeah, so we had uh, the Berserker Brew Battle OCR held by. Uh, Phoenix race. I, I I was thoroughly impressed. The course itself was laid out. It was a fast course. It was a runner's course. They broadcast it as being a fast course, and it definitely was. Bland, 
had a, a lot of say in a lot of the kind of setup of it. I liked his, well, I think it was his uh, idea of an Atlas don't carry. So when a lot of people hear the Atlas don't carry, they probably look at Spartan, like run it down, what, 50 feet and then back around. Well, his was kind of fun because you had to pick up it right off the start, literally 30 meters into it. You're picking up a 45, 55 pound Atlas stone, running it a couple hundred feet. And then you're going over like a small little one foot little wall. And then you had to take it, crawl underneath like a 20 foot low crawl, pick it back up, run it to a three foot wall, get it over the three foot, three foot wall, under a cargo net again, over a four foot wall under another cargo net and then bring it back to its place. I liked that. That to me off the start was a lot of fun, but it was also the separator extremely quickly um, for the lead packs. I think like they went in groups of five every 10 minutes or so. And myself and another guy, we, after that, we kind of led the race the entire time. A lot of open, great scenic, scenic venue, a lot of woods, a lot of open fields, there wasn't, even though we had rain and actually sleet the night before, there wasn't a lot of mud or anything like that. So that made it a little bit nice. The obstacles themselves were placed out. I liked it because there was a lot of open ground, so you could kind of open up on your stance or your pace a little bit. Uh, let's see, what else was there? Things that I haven't really seen much, they had a yoke carry. I've never done a yoke carry. Really? So that was, yeah, I've never oh, done a yoke. You're still a baby in the sport then. I know. You know, that's surprising though. I thought you've ran Highlander before. Yeah, but I don't remember there being a yoke carry there. Highlander Assault had a yoke carry mm. this year. This year? I don't think they had one the year before though. I, I thought they did. It wasn't like buckets or anything else or, you know, the apparatus, but it was definitely a pull with two tires on the end. If it was, I'm sorry, Highlander, because I got I like you guys, but I don't remember that. And I would have remembered because as the guy who got first place was dropping his off, I was running up to him and I saw him have his hand on both ropes to hold it. I was like, oh, that's cool. I don't know why he's doing that. So I picked mine up and start going. Well, I realized why he did that, because I was swaying back and forth every which way. And I was like, all right, cool. Well, my arms are too short to reach the ropes. So I was just having to suffer with it, rocking back and forth. And then when I drop it off, I start to go run. I'm still zigging and zagging as I'm trying to run because I can't get my balance from that damn yoke. But, I mean, it was it was a lot of fun. I mean, I ended up getting second at that race. And, it, like I said, the guy was there in front. It was literally selling the entire time. I kept catching up. And then he said he kept looking back, going, how is he keeping up? Like, he kept hearing me. But it was after that yoke, I just couldn't get my bearings straight to catch back up. But yeah, it was it was a fun race. Definitely a lot of good takeaways. I mean, I, I was impressed. Everybody there that was great. Volunteers were all awesome. They knew what they're supposed to be doing. They knew the rules of each rig, each obstacle. They let you know beforehand before you got there what you need to do, what's right, what's wrong. So they were real knowledgeable on that. Julie and Jason were all over the course, just taking up on everybody. Land was all over the place. So yeah, I mean it was it was definitely a good entry level race to be brought to Kentucky for people wanting to get into the sport. Yeah, I've heard some really great things and I think Julie does such a great job with networking and utilizing her resources. 
and really being a solid like race director. She wants to target a very large audience and have something that can be appealing to the masses. And I think that's just great. Um, she's very approachable and friendly. Um, I've heard that the staff, the volunteers, they were all just really great. Um, it, it was more of like that family feel. That's, yeah, that's exactly, that's how I probably should have put it to make my speech shorter. But yeah, great family feel. Yeah, you can approach any of them. Bland, I mean, if you, anybody who doesn't know Bland, first off, he's a massive, massive man, all right? He's a huge guy. And I think that's why he kept taking pictures next to me because I was not, I'm not the biggest guy, but I looked like his son standing next to him, but he would talk to you about anything. Just he, he was traveling around everywhere, talking to the other, the vendors that were there, just catch up with people to talk to them, um, asking if anybody needed anything, both the competitors, the volunteers. And he was just a helping hand all the way around. I mean, Jason and Julie were too. Everybody that was there was just really into making sure everybody was taken care of and knew what they need to be done. So yeah, that the other brands could probably take a lesson from how that was ran for sure with the volunteers knowing what they're supposed to be doing. <laughs> Honestly, that that's so great. I'm happy for them. I'm happy they had a successful race. I will say I did want to try and get out to this race because I knew all of the other Phoenix races this year were on weekends that were either conflicting or really close to some of the big races that I wanted to run so when I saw they put a race in November that's like after my season usually I I really wanted to make it out but I think they could have put it on a better weekend it, it's tough when you have arguably the biggest non-championship weekend for Spartan you have the biggest weekend for Savage with uh, two-day Savage and Blitz races, and it's World's Toughest Mudder Weekend. The sport is already spread so thin, at least here in the States, between those three races. Because again, these are like two-day races at each venue. So when she put that race on, on the schedule, it, I was sad to see that that was the date because a, a lot of the OCR loyalists had already made up their mind about world's toughest mutter, whether they were running or they were pitting or they were going to go out to Fenway or they were going to go out and run back-to-back -back days at Savage because you don't get two-day Savage races anymore. So I really hope next year they take a look at the race schedule and evaluate what else is going on a little bit more so we can have a bigger turnout because I do think that Phoenix race could have a very successful series as long as we can continue to promote build and get more people coming out yeah I think too with it like so I would uh, so on top of everything else that's already been good I was actually surprised by some of on the, the male side and the female but more so the male side the, the quality of athletes that came out because i was like what's well, kentucky i'm not expecting there to be like a lot of higher caliber you know people coming out to kentucky well the top three guys were all literally within you know segments of one another like it was uh, i was thoroughly impressed like the guy who beat me had a, a solid good minute on me at least 
but then me and philip a guy who i compete with you know often running to him all the time at races we were seconds apart and then four and five were seconds apart of us two as well so i mean there's runners there there's people who like the sport in the state of kentucky but we always have to travel you know to ohio or tennessee or illinois or these far races and so we don't really necessarily have the you know ability sometimes so with it coming into kentucky it could grow the sport and you know close that gap up a little bit between all these states but now i've got i've got friends that i can go train with now so that's exciting congratulations you made friends i'm so proud of you you know i've got one <laughs> yeah so i i, I like I, I liked the Sabbath or the, the Phoenix race. And it was, I think I do better in those weird style races. Like I said, you don't see where you're carrying around this 45, 50 pound, you know, Atlas stone going over obstacles and things like that. in a lot of the races. So like when I did frontline, I did one well frontline because you had to wear a weight vest. You had to do some of these more heavy style carries while doing obstacles at Phoenix. I did well there. And it was cold. It was sub 30 when we took off to race. And I I do better in like weird temperatures or extremes or stuff that's just going to burn people out. I mean, it. I like those different type challenges. And that seems to be where I do better at some of these races. I'm just going to throw this out there. It was warmer in Boston this weekend. So, yeah, and that's weird to me. Like it was like 29 degrees when we started you know getting ready to go race and they were backed up just a little bit trying to get their uh volunteers in place so i was like all right well i did my normal thing i took my shirt off because i don't run in a shirt and i had it off like 15 minutes and i'm freezing <laughs> and he's like i right, let's go race i'm like okay it was like 40 on sunday when we took off and i decided i was gonna wear a tank top because i was really cold I got up to the top of the stairs and instantly regretted racing in a tank top instead of a sports bra. And I heard the same from a couple of the pro women as well. So you should come out to Boston. We have the ocean, so it automatically makes the temperatures a little bit warmer. So even if it's like a November race, we can get it kind of warm where like all of the pro men were actually shirtless. Well, I'm thinking about possibly doing was uh, a dominable, indomitable. Is that what you I'm say? thinking about going out there. Abominable in Abom Wisconsin. Abominable, yeah. Is it a Wisconsin or is it in Illinois? It's in Wisconsin. It's like Geneva. Oh, okay, yeah. So going there and doing it, possibly, but I can't run in a shirt and that'll be too damn cold. So I don't know. That's debatable. We we need to we need to get you training in colder weather. I can train in cold weather. I run just fine in cold weather. It's just yeah, but like Wisconsin cold. I ran in Ohio cold in the middle of December. Ohio cold and Wisconsin cold yeah. are not the same thing. Oh my god! Here we go. In Wisconsin, we don't have snow days. We have it's too cold to stand outside and wait for the bus days. Well, then I'm not about that life. I'm not doing it. <laughs> No, you got to go now. We just got to get you training. We'll get you a good pair of bleg mitts. You'll be fine. See, that's the one thing I wish I had is was a, was a pair of gloves. But I don't like. We literally looked at them at OCRWC and you decided to spend all of your money on patches instead. 
I we don't talk about that. It was the first time I've ever bought anything at venue, okay? But I don't know. It's like I I just I don't know how people wear the gloves like period. Like I know you can move them so your hands are still open and stuff like that, but it's same thing with like a shirt. Like I don't know how people wear their jerseys and so, like they get like when it gets wet and like I just don't I don't know how people do it. That's why I don't think I could ever do the world's toughest is because I'm seeing people wearing like uh wetsuits and all this other crazy stuff. I'm like, no. <laughs> Rumor has it they didn't even need their wetsuits this weekend. Really? Yeah, I mean it was supposedly really warm all weekend. I haven't so I've heard from my clients and friends that have been out there, but I didn't get the full breakdown because they're all still pretty neurologically depleted. I will say congratulations to Charles. We're not going to completely talk about his race because he's not here to break it down for us. But congratulations to Charles for being a 24-hour finisher, getting that holy grail. I did have one client who finished 65 miles in like 22 hours of world's toughest mutter. And his biggest goal was to beat Funky Monkey. He had consistently struggled with it. And he said he beat it on every single lap, with the exception of the final lap when he knew that he needed to call. So I am so incredibly proud of them. Congratulations to my good friend Brian as well for... Hitting his 25-mile goal. But I'm hearing that the sand was a real bitch. And a lot of knee pain. So on the... Okay, so we'll we'll get everything. How does that work then? So if he had 65 miles at 22, is it he did he just call it? Or do you have to complete a lap before the 24 hours? Like if you go out at hour 23.59, does that count? So do you have to have it completed before the time? So I, I don't... I'll have to double check on all of this and maybe we'll talk about this more once Charles is back from his world's toughest mutter racecation. But I know if you start your lap at noon and then you run one lap that finishes after 8 a.m. So if you only run two laps on the day, if one is at noon and the other finishes after 8 a.m., you are technically a 24-hour finisher. So congratulations. You ran 10 miles. You paid $500 to run 10 miles to claim to be a 24-hour finisher for two laps. I've, I've had a lot of thought about this lately, and I, in good conscience, could not call myself a 24-hour finisher if I didn't run, if I didn't even attempt a lap after dark. But that's just me. Yeah, that, that's crazy. I would at least have to go in with a mindset of at least hitting 60, 65 to even cons- like for me to even pay that amount. That's crazy. Right. Exactly. Or like, I mean, not everybody is as strong of a runner or maybe they don't have the experience in a 24 hour race. They don't know what their body's going to do at operating for that amount of time. But at least when I went out on my first 24 hour race, I said, I will run for 24 hours. So I purposely said, okay, I'm going to do a fun lap at this time. I'm going to, I had like three different Halloween costumes, two different onesies. I said, you know, three o'clock in the morning, we are going out and telling ghost stories. Or, you know, it was the week before Halloween, I dressed up as Freddy Krueger. Or, 
You know, we went out on our funsy lap at four o'clock in the morning. We went on our sunrise lap. We went on our sunset lap. And it's like I purposely wanted to hit specific times of the day. So I knew that I could stay going for the 24 hours. Now, this past Fit Challenge 24-hour race, I ran consistently from 8 a.m. until 12.30 a.m. I do not claim to be a 24-hour finisher, even though I technically ran Saturday and finished on Sunday. I only hit like 16 and a half hours. I will not claim 24 hours. But that's just me. That's my personal belief. I'm really proud of people that have gone on and said, you know, I'm going to run World's Toughest Mudder. I'm going to get my 24-hour headband. If you can justify the cost for the effort, I'm proud of you. Congratulations. Yeah, no. Nope. Not, 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 not. <laughs> I don't know. Now I got to start looking at my race, my races for next year anyway, so who knows. I know I'm not doing any franchise or big box brands. So except for Savage Ohio, Savage Ohio is the only one I'm doing. I'm not doing any other big box brands except for Savage Ohio at all next year. You're racing Savage Ohio the week before Indian Mud Run? I did this year. Heck yeah. Yeah. Mm. Here comes. Your coach might have some things to say about you. Say about that to you. Yeah. Well, one, I have to now because now I just need the redemption. And two... I'm going to leave my damn shoes on for IMR since it's their 10-year anniversary. We know QB is going to come out with some crazy stuff, so I'll I'll be fine. I probably won't. QB comes out with some crazy stuff regardless. Crazy year stuff, yes, I know. But I, I, probably, I won't. I don't know. I have to do both of them. It's Ohio. That's my state. Um, I'll do both of them. No, Kentucky is your state. No, it's not. I just reside here. I don't claim this state at all. I'm, I'm as adamant about that as much as I am with my dislike of Spartan. Trust me. <laughs> hey, that is how I am with Wisconsin. I grew up there. I didn't ask to be there. I don't like anything about it. I just was unfortunately forced to live there. I was pulled out of my home state of Michigan at the early age of three weeks old. Okay, okay. Back on track. There, there was one other race this weekend since we congratulated Charles on his performance. We also want to go ahead and say congratulations to Derek, who managed to get onto the Savage Race Age Group podium both days. I heard similar to Phoenix Race going out with the Atlas Stone. Didn't they go out with um, their piece of wood? I don't know. What is that called? Lumberjack Lane? I think so. Didn't yeah. the race start with it? Which I mean, it's good. It's a, I like the I like that twist on it. Like, I mean, unless it was like you know their typical like yeah mile long crazy just ridiculous stuff. But I like that whole change up. Not just a straight run. It's a hey, pick this up, carry it, run it. You know, that's why I liked OCR Overload because they had you basically carry around those sandbags right off the start, basically. It's good to see them switching things up, giving new twists, not keeping everything all the same. Savage took away their uh, their cheese board on their rig, too. No, I think one of them had the cheese board. Oh, they did? Because they had two rigs. Oh. At least that's what one of my clients said when I talked to them about their race over the weekend. 
Again, I wasn't able to really look at too much of the footage because I was at Fenway all day. And then when I wasn't at Fenway, I was refreshing the world's toughest mudder leaderboard nonstop and tracking a few of my friends and clients. So congratulations to everybody who ran this weekend. It was a really busy race weekend. And we, we seem to have it covered pretty well across the board between the four of us. So awesome job to everybody. Yeah, I'm glad. I know I haven't seen a lot from Derek here lately racing. So when I saw him pop up on my feed, I was like, yeah, buddy. We, we did actually try to get him on the show today to talk about our upcoming topic. But unfortunately, he is right on the verge of a new promotion, a big move. And his work just takes over his time on um, any day that's not a Sunday. So with him racing in Florida on Sunday, it was very tough to get him on yesterday and Monday is a no-go for him. So unfortunately he couldn't recap it himself, but hopefully we can get him back on soon enough. Maybe if we can get Charles back on do his recap, we can get Derek on and they can both recap at the same time too. Yeah, that would be awesome. We'll, we'll check in and see about that for next week. But now we need to get into a little bit of controversy within the sport. Controversy? Controversy. In the sport? I know. Drama? Oh, God. I'm, I'm new to this. Please tell. <laughs> oh, so we have had some listener feedback about issues that have come up at different races across the season. So we did receive a message. I am going to go ahead. I'm, I'm redacting it a bit. And I already said, I do not want to throw anybody under the bus. I won't name names. I don't want to throw shade because I am not about trying to destroy an image or a race or a racer. But I think there are bigger issues that are arising. And with us still being a fresh sport, we need to be able to have these conversations so we can come to a concise agreement on what should be allowed ethically and everything else. So let me just pull up this message really quickly and we can dive right in. So this racer ran a race where there was a very public advertisement that a pro racer was helping out on the build. And it was one thing promoted across social media to really try and increase the number of racers that were coming out. So everybody was very well aware that this professional racer was going to be there and was designing part of the course. This person got to race day and went to line up at the start line, and that same racer who was on the build was also towing the start line. They reached out and said, I've been pissed about the situation ever since I saw that person there. But then I thought, maybe I was being petty. This person goes on and says, I thought it was total BS as well. But Hubie races competitively, and he designs Indian Mud Run. But he never takes top three. Someone else at another race brand also races competitively. 
I think that's something that needs to be considered by the community at large and is the right thing to do. So this pro racer not only helped on the build, but then went on and was the only racer to complete an obstacle, took home the top award for a race that they helped out at. This person then goes on and says, talk about a podium. It was a very small race, and it was very unfortunate to see that this pro racer decided not only were they going to help design, but they were also going to then race competitively and ultimately had the advantage and took home an award for it. All right. So let's also just put on is that we did reach out to other people as well, like other racers, you know, race brands, things like that, to try to get a general consensus also. So there is still a lot of gray area here within this specific topic. Everybody was giving us different answers. Everybody was validating how they could see, you know, one way or the other. I mean, we, even still, you and I are both kind of like, okay, like we're, we can see both sides of it. Yeah. I mean, it's, so it kind of comes down to if it's a, from the general consensus, it was, if if it was a volunteer, like a full on volunteer putting their time, their effort in to help, you know, do whether it be course design, rig design, the layout, where it may be. The so far the consensus we're getting is that these other companies and things like that would let them still race competitively because they were saying you helped us, we we appreciate it, but it didn't give them an edge up. Again, I can see completely both sides of the argument, and hundred percent if you are volunteering on course build or whatever else i think you are volunteering your time you are helping out that race brand if if you get a slight advantage because you have seen part of the course 100% that is completely allowed um kind of like a reward for your act of service but My biggest issue with this as an athlete is the fact that it was advertised that this person was coming out and they were going to help on build. They were going to design. They had teaser videos leading up to the race. They put this person as the face of the race and said, come on out and test what this person is going to put you through. Well, if they're the ones putting us through this, why aren't they helping us with this? Why do they have to tow that start line? Especially with this being a small local brand and this person does race competitively pretty often Why did you need that one podium when arguably it was a small local where you're getting predominantly green racers coming out? 
did that podium, which we will say it was not for money, but did that podium really just boost your stock more than, say, if you would have come to this race, helped design, and then served as a true face of the race and sat out at an obstacle coaching people through it the entire time to where racers could have said, oh my gosh, it was so awesome to see so-and-so out here. I loved what you did on course. You were so friendly. I'm happy that you were there when I came through to be able to beat this. And they did. They put the growth and development of other racers ahead of their own competitiveness. You know what I mean? Yeah, see that aspect like that. Like I said, I agree with that too. And I think that also kind of comes into like when you when you talk to some of the other brands and whatnot, they let you preview the obstacles or you know the rigs too. Like it's it's kind of just like a a I can't even think of the word now. Here I am trying to be smart, but it's kind of just a like in our back pocket, like the ones that race competitively, we know not to get on the rigs. We know not to play on the rigs. We just subconsciously know, hey, we can go up to it. We can look at it. We can kind of plan on it. We just can't play on it. Um, and I think that for us, we knew kind of like, you know, on certain obstacles or rigs, whatever it is, that's the mindset we're going into it. It's kind of sound like the, the, the racer kind of had the feel that we, they couldn't see it. They couldn't preview it beforehand. So I think that could have been where she was upset too, because she may not have known she could have previewed it before. Did you kind of get that reading that too, that they couldn't preview the obstacle or whatever it was? So I think that was ultimately one of the biggest arguments was if I could have seen the obstacle beforehand, I probably could have strategized going into it. If you can see it, if you can touch it, if you can experience it beforehand, you are not spending the time on course trying to devise a plan. I think back to Indian Mud Run talking to Hubie and Sid, and it Indian Mud Run is a wicked tough race. But at the end of the day, once you know your strategy for each, each obstacle, you're going to beat that obstacle every single time. It's not that it's a hard obstacle. The difficulty is not as high as the innovation. So the innovation kicks that difficulty up a notch. And if you go into something with a little bit of knowledge behind it, you are already at an advantage. I I look at this and I, I know we have a lot of feedback. We have a lot of ways we can go with this entire conversation. And before we start talking about, you know, getting into all of the gray areas, I think, one, I want to say I do not hold this race brand responsible for any of this. I think this situation could have potentially hurt their image as a whole, but I don't, I don't fault them for this. 
and we've talked to other racers who've said, you know, there is so much gray area and being small race brand, you know, you, you take what you can get when it comes to volunteers, help, everything else. I, I fault the, the pro themselves because I think they did not need this race for their image. I think actually sitting this race out probably would have boosted their stock in the sport a little bit better. I look at it as, and I, I've been a boxer. I've coached fighters. I've boxed myself. You can only fight so many scrappers before people just think you're dodging competition. You know, I've worked in all avenues. When I was at Philadelphia University as their athletic trainer, our women's basketball team, who they were decent for D2, but they weren't good. They got an invitation and they got an all-expense-paid trip to play the UConn women's basketball team in 2013. It by no means was UConn women number one nationally ranked because they were fighting Philadelphia University in D2. Yeah, they played a couple scrapper teams. That's part of strength of schedule and everything else. You bring in people that you can just beat up a little bit. You can learn new skills. You can test out new things. And then you go play the real competition. The, this pro has had plenty of scrapper races. Maybe instead of just racing week after week after week after week against a weaker field, sit out and help grow the field. You know, you see Nicole Miracle. She said there aren't a lot of women in this sport. So she didn't say, hey, come out here, run my race so I can beat you. She said, let me form a team. Let me give you coaching. Let me give you resources. Let me outfit you. Let me get you sponsors. I want you to come and race against me. I want to help you get better. She didn't say, hey, come race next to me. And oh, yeah, I also put this in place. And I'm the only one who has knowledge about this. And that is the difference between a role model in this sport and somebody who's just trying to boost their own ego. You know, at you look at pro golf, you I, I don't mean like pro golf, like PGA. I mean like you go out to a country club, you have your golf pros, you have your tennis pros, you have your squash pros, all of them. People are not coming in and saying, I want to play you because I want you to kick my ass. I want to come learn from you. I want you to give me coaching. I want you to give me advice. You know, take a look at my technique. Give me some tips on how I can continue to get better. And I think as a pro for this race brand, the race brand and the athlete combined would have had a much more solid benefit and had a stronger image coming out of the race. Had they said, here is our pro, they want to teach you. They put an obstacle out for you and they are going to sit there all day and they are going to help you. You see it with Kempson. He did not run at NORAM. He did not run at OCRWC. He brought a Kempson design obstacle and he sat there manning the obstacle at NORAM. I think the Kempson brothers faced off head to head in a non-competitive wave, just the two of them, because 
they were not going to step in and try to race for money when they already had an advantage because they knew how to complete their obstacle. Same with Ryan Atkins at BFX24. He designed some of the obstacles. He wasn't going to race it. Victor Quezada, he does not run, what, Rugged Maniac as well? If you are actively creating something for a race brand, I think you need to swallow your pride and help be a resource in the sport. Don't just be that bully looking to beat somebody up. Well said. I mean, that. yeah, you're right. And that's where it, like I said, it, there's the difference there between your volunteers and then your actual athletes helping and assisting on the course and the race. Because same thing, I mean, you see like race directors or whatnot that they build these rigs and things like that. They don't go out there and compete competitively because they know their rigs. They know their courses. It's, it's the exact same thing. It's if you are a well-known or just a very efficient athlete, you can have a say in it. I mean, you can say, well, maybe, and that's where I kind of, I think the gray area comes into, you can have a say in it. You can put your, your, words or like a little a twist on it here and there but in the end it's going to be the race director it's going to be the build crew that go okay yeah we can do that it's not going to benefit anybody it's not going to hurt any other any other person they're going to be the ones that have to take that hold and say okay like we agree we this is a full full movement and you know so and so did have a say in this but at the end it's going to come down to the race director and the build crew to have the final say. If they think it's going to give that one person or you know a couple of people an advantage, then that needs to be mentioned up like beforehand, saying you know it's we think it might give you guys more of an advantage. We're going to twist it this way. In the end, it comes down to the race the race director to have the hundred percent final say. So if you're a volunteer volunteer and you don't plan on, you know, competing competitively and you're saying, hey, I want to design a rig. I'm not racing at all. Absolutely. You know, that's to me, that's fine. Like if that volunteer is like, hey, here's an idea. I'm not racing competitively. It just seems like a, a, a nice idea to do. That's fine. If they say I want to race competitively, here's my idea. The race director needs to step in and say, OK, we're going to change it because it is your idea. We're not going to give you that advantage that you know could be used against other competitors or whatnot and i mean like so we we see it all the time like race directors and things like that that build their own rigs they won't race it competitively because they know what to expect or if they do and they race competitively they take themselves out of that overall podium and give it to the next online so when we got this message we did reach out to the race brand directly and we wanted to let them explain themselves and just give their view of it all. So I'm going to read through it. And again, this is redacted. We are trying to keep everything as anonymous as possible because overall, we don't fault the race brand. We don't want to throw the racer under the bus. But we do think that we should talk about this. So this is the message said. On the rig, yes, this person did bring the grips and have input on the rig. However, 
Someone else had the final design, say-so, and setup. The event was sponsored by a big financial backer, so they had a say and they wanted a really hard rig. This brand strives to have a better finisher's percentage than they did, and the rig was too difficult at the end of the day. Yes, this person won the trophy, but there was no money on the line at the race. They were also 18 minutes ahead of the next person. There were only six competitors, and two of those were to get an early start time. If we had more competitors and were giving away money, I could see the concern. This is the first time this person had participated in build, but they have somebody else on their build crew who races competitively with the brand as well as with other races. They went on to say, it's a very difficult balance to have a really tough course that competitors want to come do versus it being doable for open heat racers. They also said that this person, once they were done racing, did go back and coach every single competitor from then on. Now, this, this brings up a lot of interesting viewpoints. And again, we can take this in so many different ways. And I know we've had other feedback that said, well, if the obstacle or if the part that was designed is a factor in the race, then it's a problem. And with this person, they had such a giant lead. It, once that obstacle came into play, it was a non-factor. And that brings me back to the scrapper debate. If you have such a big lead over the other competitors, why bother racing? What is that race doing for you as a competitor? Don't you want to be racing competitively with people that can push you further? Yeah, I mean, that, that I do agree on. Because like, if the race was closer... For sure, at that point, like everybody's saying, if it was a close race and that was the the final determination of who was going to win it and, you know, whatever the situation was, whatever the rig was, whatever, if that came down and that was a determination, then I can see, you know, for sure where that person should not have had like a say in it. The race I was just at, the guy who won, if he would have failed any obstacle and had to redo it, I would have caught back up to him. Like we we were that close that if he would have failed any obstacle and I caught back up, but he was someone that had a say in it and got to it. And that would have been like my hold up. Then I would, I would be a little sour, like, okay, well you've also helped, you know, design or build or had a say in this or whatever it is. So that is like an advantage to you. If there's a huge gap, I mean, I don't, this is why I, I like the sport because there's so much there's so much difference between different race brands and the athletes and the competitors. So I mean it's I feel like we could talk about this forever and never give like an exact oh, yeah, answer. We're definitely not going to have a concise here are the rules, this is how it should be at the end of this conversation by any means. I do see what you're saying with having going head-to-head with somebody and had the racer you raced against this weekend, had they had advanced knowledge, 
they probably would have had an even larger lead on you because they went in knowing specifically what they were going to do. Who knows? I mean, we look at Savage Ohio this year, how large of a lead Lindsay had coming into the rig. No knowledge of how to complete that rig. And by the time the rest of the um, field caught up to her, she was still there fighting it out. Who knows? Maybe this pro would have gotten to that rig not having knowledge of it and maybe had to spend 20 minutes figuring it out. I know plenty of people who have spent 20 plus minutes at obstacles, at Obstacle Course Racing World Championships or Savage Race or whatever else. So you might not say she had an advantage because she had such a large gap and no other people were able to complete the rig. But they went into it knowing how to complete it. They had tested it out. They had gone through it numerous times. So by the time they got to it, they didn't have to figure it out anymore. If they would have had to figure it out, maybe somebody else could have caught up to them. We don't know, though. I definitely see both sides of the coin. And I think. The biggest thing in this debate is setting a standard across each specific race brand. There doesn't need to be a one big umbrella of this is what the sport agrees on. But each race brand has to have their own set of standards and realize that their decision and their standards could affect their image. And like I said, I think the biggest issue with this racer racing this race along with creating something was that it was told ahead of time. So people went into the race with the perception of this person designed the course. Why are they racing it? This person could have easily built an obstacle and we would have never known they raced it we wouldn't see a problem but there was the perception of it and now it hurt the images perception is reality people see it and they're going to be they're going to judge because of it now we did ask a handful of other races cuz especially with this being a local race you have to utilize your resources we wanted to talk to other locals race directors, race brands, and get their opinion on the matter. So my favorite response comes from Lynn from Boulder Dash. You know, I am a huge fan of Lynn. She is one of the smartest brains in this sport. She's so level-headed and sees every side of it. So I'm going to go ahead and read her response. My thought process on this is that as long as the general public has a chance to view slash practice slash try the obstacle before it is debuted for a cash prize, then it is fair to all. This could potentially be accomplished via video and training tips as well. However, if the person designs and practices the obstacles at as it is being built, it does create an uneven playing field for a brand new obstacle. Example, 
Kiss My Grips was built by us, but out on the course for a few months before it debuted for Winter Dash. This allowed for a lot of playtime, and some adjustments were made to the rig setup. Many of the adjustments were done based on input from the users slash runners. When the obstacle made its official debut, it was not a podium event. It was, however, an OCR Worlds qualifier. In this industry, oftentimes the users can be some of the best sources for ideas and developments. Perhaps if the design slash build is being used for the first time on an event where this is prize money or podium recognition, an understanding between the designer and the event itself should be reached prior to debut that the first time it's used, the designer slash builder cannot podium unless the standings are not influenced by this one obstacle. Lots to think about here. So she can still, again, argue everything we're arguing. Yeah, okay, so this obstacle didn't necessarily cost somebody a podium. It wasn't a determinant, but they did have an unfair advantage. There was no previews given. There was no tutorials. They could have easily posted on social media and said, look at what this person created. Here they are showing you how to do it. Here are their training tips. You know, tune to our social media channels leading up to race day. Follow, like, subscribe, and we're going to continue to give you more previews throughout the week. If you want to come out and race, you can come out and race. And that probably would have boosted the brand a little bit more, boosted the racer a little bit more, and not, and it would have taken away that unfair advantage. Also, even if there's no cash prize on the line, in this day and age, to qualify for pro at OCRWC is a big thing because age group you don't have to qualify for. So if this race is an OCRWC qualifier or has some other kind of major recognition, you are now taking away a potential spot for another racer. Corey, this is a podcast. You got to talk. Well, we, we see your facial expressions and that light bulb just went off. Yeah. Well, that, I mean, yeah, now that, that it just completely changed everything that I was thinking about. But yeah, I mean, like I said, you, you reached out to them. I've, re I've reached out to Aaron of OCR Overload. I've reached out to Sid of uh, Battle Lions and Aaron of Race Ready. And they all had like the same same concept. And actually, one of them said the same thing. Like Aaron from Overload said that when he does it, he they had to take into effect. He looks at all his racers. He, he doesn't try to give anybody an advantage. So he looks at... You know, the tall competitors or short competitors, if you've got people who are big on upper body, people who have a background in something else sort of like ninja or something along those lines. So he takes all that into effect and said that he would not let a competitor run that race if they had a say in said design or obstacle. Aaron from Race Ready said the exact same thing. He wouldn't let a, a competitor design and set up a rig and then be allowed to race uh, the same day. And then he went on to say that even if someone were to have a say in it, he would look into it, but he doesn't even have most of his setup until the Friday before because he keeps changing the layout. Sid, if it's volunteers, absolutely. If it's a staff, no. If it was uh, himself or anybody else high level, 
they would DQ himself or that said person from the overall, especially if it was a, like I said, a high profile race where it was, you know, like a qualifier because we want to grow our sport so we can give someone else, you know, that opportunity to say, yeah, I qualified for worlds at this race, you know, build the sport up. So, I mean, they've all kind of, you know, said the same thing that if it's going to give that person an advantage, then no. But then they also go on to say, you know, it it could come into the terrain, it could come into the running itself. Like, so this is where all the different variables come in to that specific one. But yeah, I I just looked and they said the same thing that, you know, if it's going to, like it's like, so a high level, you know, like opportunity, then yeah, in retrospect, if a high competitor made a rig or design or a layout, it did take the opportunity for someone else to qualify for a bigger event like Worlds or whatever it may be. And I, I think that's what it really needs to come down to. Again, like, did this person need to race? No. There were, you know, there was an OCRWC qualifying spot on the line. There was podium awards. They probably could have sat it out. Looking at Again, what Lynn had to say, Boulder Dash is a permanent course. You look at something like a Noob Sanity, that is a permanent course. You're not getting Lynn and Jarrett running their own race, but they have people that come out week after week after week after week, and then they come out and they run the race. There is that opportunity to train on it. It is open to the public. It is nobody's fault but your own should you choose not to take advantage of it when i talked to rob from fit challenge he said first it was a very tough question and he he had to take a little bit of time to think on it he said well i let anyone come early and practice so i'd say that i let them compete competitively now he set up obstacles in his backyard throughout all of covid he opened up his property so people could come play on the Gibbons, play on Devil's Playground, try out the double up, run down his street and back and collect a little piece of wood that said Fit Challenge. Like he kept racing alive in New England and, you know, Diamond Hill Park, they set it up two weeks in advance and you call him and say, hey, can I come check something out? By all means, come on out. I know I showed up on the Thursday before the race this year and I complained because he didn't have the Gibbons set up yet. And he's like, oh shit, my bad. But go play on Devil's Playground. You know, I walked the course. Diamond Hill is a public hill. You can go and you can train on the terrain there. So that's not an unfair advantage. But, and that's kind of where I see... Hubie's side of it all. Now, full disclosure, we did not reach out to Hubie. I am not somebody that has a problem with Hubie running his own race. He does not run it as a pro. He only runs it as an age group competitor. He also opens up the Indian Mud Run course to training days. He lets people come out the night before the race and says... Go walk the course as much as you want. Test out the obstacles. We are here from this time to this time. I know 
I was on obstacles. I was running the course. I saw VJ on obstacles, VJ running the course. I saw all of the pros out there testing out the course, testing out the obstacles the night before the race. I have no problem with Hubie running his own race and taking first in his age group because, one, he he doesn't give away money, but he was not running it pro. And he let everybody come out and test everything out. Hell, he sat and he gave me all of the tips on every obstacle that I had any questions on. Said, when you get to this, you know, think about this, 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 try this. And I was able to keep my band. I don't see that as an unfair advantage. That's just taking advantage of opportunity. But again, the race is giving us that opportunity as an entire community. It's not just restricted to one person. Yep. And then that's where the side Sid had also taken in regards to being able to like open it up and or test it. And he said, basically, if if it's a specifically something like a rig that's like a common sense type deal and not confusing and so say like the other person has done this same style over and over and over and he's been able to do it over and over and over with different variations he said it doesn't see like it's going to be a big deal he said the only way he sees it as making a difference is if it's a like crazy peg style obstacle or something that's been designed just to be almost impossible and if he's the only one to pass it while everyone else is failing it at that point that's when he would feel alarmed and as if he should not have competed at all but then he also goes on to say that he would let multiple people try you know whatever the rig was or the obstacle it was and if there's a bunch of people struggling on it then he would obviously change it but that's the only thing he really said. His was a little bit harder to understand because he was in the process of building. But his is, you know, if it's super crazy hard and he had a say in it and he's the only one at the end of the day who completed it, then he would feel bad and that, you know, he would have to make a say of disqualifying himself or, you know, pulling himself off of a podium or whatever it may be because that wouldn't have been fair to everybody else. I get that. I mean, we've seen it at, I know I've seen it at Fit Challenge in Boulder Dash. They've had obstacles that were so difficult that, you know, they didn't have anybody complete it. I mean, Rob has had it to where no females were able to complete Devil's Playground. So he may, he said, okay, we're taking the end of the race out and whoever hit 100% completion up to the point of Devil's Playground, they are our winners. And Lynn took out her Kiss My Grips obstacle and said, okay. So so many people did not complete it. We are taking it out. Who was running 100% without this? And she was able to give the OCRWC qualifiers as well. When we asked the bigger brands, I know I specified with a lot of these brands that I know it's going to be different in the locals versus the big brands. Julie from Phoenix Race told us it boils down to being a small brand and utilizing people who love the sport because those are the people willing to come out and help. And that's where I think 
yeah, I have no problem with volunteers coming out, helping, and they are given, you know, a chance to try out the obstacles, see the course. It is their compensation for volunteering their time and helping out. Then I look at somebody like Spartan. Now we we know Steve Hammond, he's been on the Spartan Pro team. He is course designer, but he also has run Spartans. We know that there are a handful of people on course build, course design for Spartan that also run their races. Now, talking to a lot of people, and I don't know the official stance, it's harder to get a hold of somebody with Spartan to ask these questions, but you don't see anybody who is on build or course design running on day one, only on day two. So therefore, competition has already had a chance to see all of the obstacles to get on course. Day two is usually shorter than day one, so you're not seeing anything new on a day two that you haven't already seen on day one. So the opportunity was there. People could race on the course. So advantage was taken away. Even if course design saw more of it, everybody had the opportunity to race the day before. Um, I also see, you know, Spartan has had open houses, but still, they don't care. Course design was not gonna race competitively on day one, even with open house when people had those advantages. But they also have their obstacle specialist course, which is a for pay opportunity to get on course, see the obstacles, play on them, everything else. Now, you're not going to get elites coming out and taking an obstacle specialist course often, but you do see age group competitors. And I don't think that's an unfair advantage because they're taking the opportunity. They're also paying the money for it. So by all means, have at it. But ultimately... Spartan isn't letting their course build, their course designers run day one in an elite heat. You might see a few builders jump into age group, but again, they're not collecting a paycheck. And I think that's ultimately what it comes down to. Are are they racing for the top level award? If there's only one category, only one top level award. Is it fair to let them jump in or do they need to sit back, DQ themselves or run it open and just be more of an ambassador for the race brand instead of professional competitive athlete? So then it's, man. I know this topic, we could literally talk for days on it. We can go in so many directions. We are not going to have an answer. I I can continue to like give hypotheticals and identify more and more gray areas. Oh man, there's not even a general consensus at this point with it. It's it's what you think is right and it's what I think is right and we just got to get the feedback from everybody else. So what do you think is right then? If it's a known competitor, if it's a known racer, if it's you or me or Derek or Charles or anybody who's in who does this a lot, if we have a say in it, us with as adamant as we are, we need to pull ourselves from the race. If our name is attached to an obstacle in any way, we need to sit at that obstacle. We don't need to be on the course. We we can run it. That's fine. 
because it still comes down to we still have that competitive nature. So we can still race competitive. See, I don't know, because I would still race competitively. Knowing that I designed it, I would still race competitively, but I would still pull myself. If I overalled or age grouped, I'd like, I would still step away. Like, nope, I had a say in it. I designed this, whatever it may be, but I'm not taking said podium. Give it to the next person because, you know, I knew what I was getting myself into. That's where I stand, is if I did it, I would not, I would attach my name to it. I would either one, not race, or depending on the competition that was there, just to see how I would do against them just in general. If I still podium to overall to whatever it may be, I would pull myself from that podium. I don't need it. So you'd probably not wear a timing chip, but you would still tow the start line. There you go. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what it would. That's exactly how you could put it. I would not wear a timing chip because I, I would still race it. I won't have a chip, but I would still be in there in the heat with everybody else. And I'm okay with that. I think you need to make it known because if your name is attached to something, again, perception is reality. People are going to get pissed off. And if people are pissed off on the start line, they're taking that animosity out onto the course with them. That could hinder their performance or whatever else. It could really get into their head, create a little mind fuck. Or, you know, they could just get really pissed off at you and do something that might not be the most sportsmanlike of racers because they think that you are coming in with an unfair advantage. And I don't think that's going to happen. We have seen it, though. I do think you should declare that you are not racing for podium, but you are racing them to test yourself. Yeah, there you go. That that if they want if 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 you have your name attached to something, that's exactly it. Then if you have your name attached to something on the said course, declare it. Say, hey, I had a say in this completely. I'm still going to be competing. I'm just not going to have a timing chip on it. I still want to race. And then the race brand also needs to have something in there saying, because I can run around all over the place and say, I did this, I did this, I did this. I'm not racing it, but you're still going to have those people like, well, is this true? Blah, blah. So the race brand or whatever needs to say, hey, they're still racing. We, we, we've we got it figured out. They will not be set up for the overall, for podium, whatever it may be. They're just going out now just to keep continuing to race because, you know, they worked on the course. We're giving them this as a thank you for competing, that kind of thing. Or help. Thank you for, you know, helping right. go compete. And I, ball, but... I think that is a good way to go about doing yeah. it. Me personally, if my name is attached to something, I'm going to sit it out. I also I mean, I love coaching. I love watching this sport. I would much rather see the sport grow as a whole because of me and help people to get better than to have bragging rights or whatever else. I don't need to boost my own ego. I It's going to boost my ego more having somebody saying, oh my God, that tip you gave me is what m made my race. Um, I, I want to do that part. And I mean, that's what I do literally within this sport. So I personally would not be racing it. But again, I can understand both sides of the argument. Now, I think we can come to a consensus that each 
race should come out within their policies, procedures, rule books, whatever else. They need to clarify what their stance is towards these gray areas. If if they get into this situation, I'm not saying that all of the races have notable figures stepping in and building. Um, a lot of people that ha- do build have raced competitively before, though. I mean, we all love this sport. So it's hard to separate course designer and athlete, but each race should be able to do so. Like Nobody was pissed off that Sid and David went out and ran the team race at OCRWC. Because at that point, they ran it open and they were having fun and everybody had already been out on the course. But should they have stepped in as athletes on day one after spending weeks on build, it would have been a different story. So identify that. Our crew is not racing competitively. Or if you do come out on crew, you forfeit your right to any podium awards. Yeah, and that's the, like I said, with Sid and Aaron and the other Aaron from Race Ready, they've all said if if it's crew or, you know, team members, like people who are there all the time, they they don't let them, they DQ them from the podium overall, like the overall podium or age group. They automatically pull them. They still let them race, but they are not in contention mm-hmm. for awards at all whatsoever. That I'm good. That that I agree with, and yeah, I still or like I said, that's the stance I take is that if my name is attached to something, then you know I'm still gonna race. I'm still gonna go up against these people just to see. You know, there's different variables, and I mean, my I want to see how I do on the running or whatever it may be. The heavy carries that I hate so much, maybe I could do better there, but I'm not going to being contention for the overalls for a podium like because my name's attached to something on that that race and it's just like lee with savage he does all his stuff he doesn't race them he builds them all i mean if he does i think i've seen him race one i've raced against him once at savage but he wasn't in contention for a podium i don't think like i know he beat me in an overall i think but he you know he still raced competitively he just wasn't in contention for the podium because right. he, he designs all their stuff. But, you know, they, they gave it to him because they're like, hey, you do all this all the time, <laughs> twice a month. Like, you know, go play. Right. That's and there's the nothing I mean. wrong with that. It, I think it ultimately comes down to opportunity. If opportunity is fair across the board, I don't see a problem with it. But if regardless of if it is something that could you know decide a race if somebody has an unfair advantage over the entire field they need to be disqualified from the race yeah i mean that's especially um yeah i mean that's that's all there is to it i mean it's like when i did earlier this year it was a small kentucky one like not like it was it was a 
great trail run with obstacles thrown in. And there's people who had ran that those trails weeks, months on end. So they knew the trails, they knew where the turns were, they knew everything about that said course. And they they were like, hey, I'm not going to be going for a podium just because I know the course itself. Yeah, the obstacles are there now, but I know the course. So they pulled themselves from that. I mean, I ran the Fit Noob Sanity 12-hour ultra, and it was majority Noob Sanity crew. And in no way did I say, oh, hey, you have an advantage over me because you train out here every single week or whatever you you have that opportunity i have that opportunity if i want to travel all the way out to binghamton i can't travel out to binghamton every single week but that's not their fault the opportunity is always there for me to try this so i can't cry foul that somebody who takes advantage of opportunity but i can cry foul if you design something for a course. Don't show me a single thing about what you designed or created or whatever else. And then you hold the start line with me and think that we have an even playing field. I will cry foul. I agree with that. Yeah, if the opportunity is not there for everybody, then yeah, that's definitely an unfair advantage. So maybe we did come to a concise agreement. Yeah, the opportunity. <laughs> the opportunity. Opportunity. If, opportunity, if the opportunity is there. And that's where we can also say, volunteering is just taking advantage of opportunity. I agree with that. I will, I will take that. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Maybe, I, th I think we did come to an I agreement. we did. But... That's weird. I know. Who are we? How did this just happen? <laughs> oh, I just came back to life. I've been reborn. Oh my gosh. It is about time. Maybe we can actually get you on another podcast after this. I mean, maybe. Maybe. I am really curious what the community has to say about this all. Because I, I do think we gave people a lot of things to think about. I mean, I know I saw the light bulb go off in your head a couple times. So there is a lot to consider here, and no single person is going to have the same opinion. I mean, it took us a lot of back and forth to kind of come to that concise agreement. So I want to know what the community is thinking. Guys, send us a message, comment on our posts, you know, talk to us in our stories. Let us know what you think, because... I think the way we continue to improve this sport is through keeping the conversation alive. But also, because this episode was brought about by a conversation with a listener, I am going to point out that this listener did not just message us. They did also reach out to the race brand directly and they gave their feedback on the race, specifically to the race brand. And that is another thing you can always do for a race. If you like it, email them. Tell them what you liked about it. If you were unhappy with it, shoot them an email. Tell them why. I know a lot of people have a hard time taking criticism, but ultimately 
criticism, critiquing, complimenting, it is all going to help continue to grow this sport forward. And nobody can see me. I'm a, I am agreeing. I mean, I was just about to say, Corey, it's a podcast. It's a podcast. I know. I'm, I'm more of an infomercial style guy. Okay. Um, <laughs> um, infomercials. Yeah. The what are you trying to sell me? The ability to have a general agreement on things within the sport so we can grow it. Yes. We don't need to fight all the time. We can accept that we all have different opinions. And at the end of the day, we are not throwing this race brand under the bus. We are not saying that they did everything wrong. This is their bad. We won't race it because X, Y, Z. We think that they are taking advantage of their own opportunities and utilizing their resources as they see fit and to them they want to continue to see their race brand grow and maybe having that one extra racer was what their race brand needed that day to keep it growing again we are all in this sport it is still a young sport the only way we can can continue to get better is by keeping the conversation alive well, I think, Corey, we have talked ourselves in circles, but we kind of sort of maybe came to a general consensus on this topic. So now that we have talked for way too long, let's say goodbye until next week. Where can people find you? The only place that matters on social media anymore, apparently, and that's on Instagram at ironman.ocr. Yeah, it's the only one that matters. Yeah, you still don't have a link tree and you still don't plug the podcast. So I think this is the last week we're going to allow you to give your handle until you start plugging us a little bit more. Because I don't know what any of that means. Yeah. Be proud of I us. I am proud. I just don't know what any of that means. That means like you can put in your profile that you're now a co-host unless you are still on the fence about that or like you can put a link to where people can oh see i need to do us. that you didn't know that you could change your profile to like include co-host of middle of the pack pod uh, no wow yeah yep. just wow okay well then <laughs> My name is Maggie B. ATC. I am the OCR trainer on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. I technically have a Twitter, but I don't use it. Um, I also have a website, theocrtrainer.com, where I offer online coaching, personalized programming, we are the work. On all social media platforms. If you're listening to this, you know where to find us. We're on Instagram, and we've got a link tree. We have a Twitter, we don't use it. We are at Middle of the Pack Pod on Facebook, Instagram. That was not our Twitter handle. We have a Twitter handle. We don't use it. We do have a link tree in our profiles. But if you are listening to us, you've already found a link to listen. So make sure you like, rate, subscribe, share, 
Give us all the feedback. Please, if you want to leave us a five-star review, we greatly appreciate it. If you want to give us some criticism, give us some feedback, go ahead, reach out. So we are going to wrap it up here. Corey, do you have any final words? Any uh, I missed everybody. Today? Sorry I wasn't here last week. I was dead. Um, but always good to be back and can't wait to be on the next one for the next topic of discussion we've got. Well, guys, we will catch you next week. Have a wonderful rest of your week. And if you are racing, good luck. Goodbye. Okay,